Hey, welcome to Recruiting Trail. I'm your host, Andrew Nimick of the Oregonian Oregon Live, bringing you the latest in recruiting for the Oregon Ducks, Oregon State Beavers, and Oregon High School Athletics. A ton to get to as the late signing period is, is drawing ever closer. It kicks off, obviously, February 3rd. Not a lot of time left until these prospects are going to put pen to paper and officially name their landing spots. We've heard some rumblings about who Oregon might get, who Oregon's in the mix for. I'm going to lay out kind of some of my predictions of what's going to happen leading into that late signing period. Admittedly, it's a little bit difficult right now because you got to get to know this staff. And so do these recruits. In some cases, they've never talked to these guys until two, three weeks ago. In some cases, they've only had one, maybe two in-person meetings with anyone from the new Oregon coaching staff. So it becomes difficult to say how exactly are those one meetings, those two meetings going to go? Will Oregon, will it be enough for Oregon to lure some of the top uncommitted prospects in the country? I'll do my best to kind of map things out for you. I also want to talk a little bit about Oregon high school athletics because there's some really negative stuff going on in the world of recruiting in Oregon high school football. I tweeted about it on Monday. I have since heard from more coaches just since tweeting about it saying, yes, this is a very real issue. I'm glad you brought it up. I'm glad you talked about it. I'm experiencing the same thing. So we'll get to that a little later in the show. But first, it sounds like Oregon is going to get some help via the transfer portal at the running back position. That's going to be music to Oregon fans' ears. Travis Dye transfers to USC on Monday. CJ Verdell announced that he is going to keep his name in the NFL draft. He is going to go pro. Not a lot of depth in that running back room right now. I know a lot of people have a lot of faith and Byron Cardwell has certainly showed a lot of promise and people believing that he has a bright, bright future. But one running back does not a modern running back room make. You need multiple bodies. You need fresh legs. Jarek Broussard, the Colorado running back with two years of eligibility remaining, he visited Oregon last weekend. That visit not only went well, but according to uh, some of my sources, the Pac-12 programs that were also in the mix for him are no longer in communication with him. He has shut down some of the programs that were pursuing him, some of the suitors trying to set up visits. He's he's kind of decided he will not be going those routes. That all leads me to believe that Oregon is the landing spot. He was absolutely willing to talk about Oregon uh, on Monday regarding how his visit went. I was able to contact him and and those are all positive signs. When, a, when an athlete wants to talk about his visit, when an athlete starts shutting out the other programs, all signs point to Jarek Broussard transferring to the University of Oregon. That would be a nice get for their running back room. 661 yards and two touchdowns last year, uh, 4.7 yards per carry. The year before, almost 900 yards and I believe seven touchdowns, including a 304-yard game against Arizona. So Broussard's got a lot of potential and a lot of big play potential in, in that body. Something certainly to watch. Oregon also on Monday, slated to meet with UCLA transfer former South Medford star Chase Coda. Chase Coda, the son of Oregon legend Chad Coda, who was part of those gangrene defenses of Rich Brooks in the early to mid 1990s. He was definitely a part of those Rose Bowl, that Rose Bowl team from '94 that went up against Penn State. A very, very uh, talented family. Certainly, he is the uh, Chase is the cousin of Brady Breeze. So a lot of connections with the Breeze-Coda family there with this Oregon program. Oregon's going to meet with Chase on Monday. They already 
had a conversation, uh, Chase Coda and Kenny Dillingham, about potentially how he might be used, kind of a feeling out, get to know you conversation. That apparently went well because there's going to be a second meeting. Chase Coda, a little bit of a disappointing year last year after a breakout sophomore year, a COVID junior year that was... Uh, just kind of for everybody was just a, a mess. I mean, you know, were they playing? Were they not playing late in the season? It was, it was weird. So after a big sophomore year, the COVID pause, I think hurt him a little bit. And then this last year, I think he had 200 yards and a couple of touchdowns uh, coming off a, you know, sophomore year, he had like 400 yards and five touchdowns. So kind of broke out as a sophomore and came back down to earth, but there's a ton of potential in that young man, a four-star prospect, South Medford star, a chance to potentially return home and be a legacy kid at Oregon and lead a very talented but very young receiving core. It'll be interesting to see if Oregon offers and goes all in on Chase Coda, but if he does, he might bring a veteran presence to a receiving core that has some really impressive young names. Troy Franklin, Dante Thornton, Chris Hudson, all of, uh, Under Armour All-American Bowl selection, Isaiah Brevard. But the one thing that's missing is kind of that veteran guy who's been there before and potentially is a willing blocker in the run game, willing to teach guys to do the nitty gritty. And I think Chase could potentially be that guy. We'll see. It'll depend on how that meeting goes and if Oregon fully extends an offer. That's what it's looking like right now in the portal, this ever-evolving portal where things are changing constantly. We'll see what ends up happening with that, but certainly some things to watch. Oregon also hosted the number 12 running back in the nation this weekend. The The Georgia commit, Jordan James, took a visit to Oregon. There's a decent chance Oregon's able to pull that one off. Certainly, they have a shot there. He's an All-American selection. He was an uh, Adidas all-American Bowl selection, projects the future NFL running back. If you're able to get Jarek Broussard and you're able to flip Jordan James, the current Georgia commit, that would be huge for the Oregon Ducks. And suddenly you talk about a running back room that goes from losing Die and Verdell and being paper thin to having three very talented players in the mix. Broussard, who's already posted a 300-yard Pac-12 rushing game. That's impressive. Byron Cardwell, who was the number one running back in the entire West region coming out of high school last year, certainly showed plenty of promise as a freshman this fall for the Ducks. And then potentially flipping Jordan James, certainly something to watch. That's going to be one that it's going to come down to Dan Lanning's relationship. Is Kenny Dillingham able to kind of blow him away? Is Coach Loxley able to, to impress him and, and bring him into the fold? Those are all things to watch there with Jordan James. But there's certainly uh, some some real intrigue in that running back in that running back room. Saw some big predictions from rivals uh, this week, and, and I want to get into that because it created a little bit of controversy. I I stand 100% by what I wrote. It's, you know, I hit the nail on the head with it, I'm sure. I, I have gone back since and found what I was referring to. Rivals this week predicted Josh Connerly Jr., the number one offensive tackle in America, number five overall prospect, according to 24-7. They predicted Josh Connerly Jr. to Oregon. They also predicted Dave Iuli to Oregon, the two-way offensive defensive lineman. Um, first, let me tell you, you know, with those predictions in the mix to Oregon, I'm hearing the exact opposite. This, to me, rings very similar to the JT Tumalau stuff. When on signing day last year, rivals picked both their national experts, picked JT Tumalau to choose Oregon. I know one of the other local reporters picked Oregon. In fact, at one point they said, it's going to be Oregon and it's going to be on Monday. And then of course he didn't commit for multiple more months after that. But 
I feel very strongly having reached out within the last 48 hours. I feel very strongly having dug deep on this over the last few months. Dave Ayuli went to Miami almost, not quite, but almost with silent verbal level loyalty to Miami. He was almost set on Miami before the trip. I think Miami is a strong, strong favorite for Dave Ayuli. He's connected to Salavea and Mirabal and Cristobal. We know that. He was committed to Oregon before. Also, I believe USC is strongly in the mix for Dave Ayuli. I think you could see a scenario where even if you took out Miami, and that's where I think he's going to go, even if you were to take out Miami for Dave Ayuli, I still think Oregon probably doesn't get him because I think at that point he'd go to USC. Things can change. Guys can decide they want to stay close to home. If Dave Ayuli decides I'm a Northwest kid through and through, he could end up choosing Oregon. But I'm telling you, I feel very, very, very confident in my sourcing that as of Within this last 48 hours, Dave Ayuli is a heavy, heavy Miami lean. And he was even before his trip to Miami, his official visit to Miami, which went great for him. Loved it. So take that for what it's worth. In terms of Josh Connerly, I've reported on Josh Connerly. He was a guest on my show, I on my radio show, uh, recruiting with Andrew Nimix Thursday night, 7 to 8 p.m. on 1080 The Fan. I had him on the show. And I've talked to him since, and I've reported on this since. He's more along the lines of will I or won't I even give Oregon much more of a look than he is willing to commit. He has been all along about will Oregon get a visit, not will I commit to Oregon. I don't think Oregon's in his top four. I feel very strongly they're not in his top three. So things can change. And this staff could really blow them away. And this is not an indictment on the staff. I'm not, I'm not criticizing the staff. I'm just telling you what I know about these recruitments. I'm telling you what I've heard along the way. Connerly, to me, I've always said, and you can go back and find it on this podcast. You can find it in shows. If they get a visit, they've got a chance to actually enter the mix. But Connerly, at one point this fall, I believe in December, told me, and I wrote it at the time, it might have been late November, but you get the idea. I may not even take a visit to Oregon. I don't even know if I'm going to take a visit. Oregon has not dramatically altered that for him at all. Oregon is definitely not in his top three. I don't think they're fourth. And with Dave Iuli, I don't know if Oregon's in the top two. They are absolutely not one. And this follows a pattern with rivals, and I know they're not happy about this. I don't care. It's the truth. If you're going to make predictions, we all make mistakes. We all make... I said Kenton Kalamatule would come to Oregon and be better than Eric Armstead from day one. Oops. I was wrong. I was wrong. Find that article, put it on put it on Twitter, and I'll shamelessly be like, yeah, I'm an idiot. I, we all make mistakes. We all make mistakes, and we all have great calls. And rivals had some great calls, and they're very reputable. But their tradition, picking Oregon targets, has been really bad. And they don't right now have an expert working with extensive experience in the Northwest. So they don't have a lot of those ties. And you look back the last three or four years with rivals, the big recruitments that people didn't already know the answer. We all kind of knew the Jalils, Jalil Tucker and Jalil Florence were going to Oregon. The big signing day commitments that everybody was watching and it was very, very exciting and what's going to happen, what's going to happen, were Kayvon Thibodeau, rivals openly, they don't even refute this, you know, recently. They they picked Alabama at the time. 
I picked Oregon, but it took until about an hour before his commitment for me to say, I think it's going to be Oregon. But they had Alabama. That's a forgivable one. That People were all over the map, and most national guys, most national guys had Alabama. Then there was Justin Flo. And almost all the local guys I knew and all the West region guys I knew, like 100%, had Oregon. Justin Flo is going to go to Oregon. Rivals picked USC. And then last year, on signing day, I tweeted about it. Frankly, I wrote it was unprofessional. Rivals, both their national guys, picked JT to choose Oregon. Now, they may have changed things eventually. But at the time, I said, there's no reason other than to be different, you would pick JT Tumalau to Oregon. Oregon maybe finished second only because Alabama was out. Okay, he's going to Ohio State. It's not going to happen. You know, the Tumalau family doesn't want to muddy the waters with making it maybe that it'd be Alabama with a late visit. There's no point in visiting. He's locked in. It's going to be Ohio State. Oregon was not going to be the landing spot at no point in his recruitment until maybe if you want to argue the very end when he canceled the Alabama visit was Oregon second. Oregon was always running third and at times fourth. And I think people predicted Oregon just to create a buzzy headline because again, I knew that recruitment and here's the real kicker. Brandon Huffman knew that recruitment inside and out. I had him on my show on the radio show. He wrote about it. I quoted his articles on on Oregon Live when I didn't know myself. And all along, it was Oregon's not first. Ohio State is the clear leader. Maybe Alabama's making a push, but it's Ohio State or Alabama. And that's okay. So we'll see with Connerly and Dave Ayuli. Rivals track record so far with these big commitments. And again, they have like 300 experts. So maybe 60% have had Oregon for Justin Flo. I don't care. If you put out on your front page a big article or you make your big signing day predictions article, and I I expect to be held to the same standard. If I put out a big signing day predictions article or signing day predictions video, that's my call. That's the call I made. And if James Crepia or John Canzano make a prediction that so-and-so is going to go to Oregon and I make a prediction he's going to go to USC and and he goes to Oregon, I was wrong. Because I'm the recruiting guy. I'm supposed to be the expert. I'm supposed to be the one that knows. So the Oregonian isn't saved because Kenzana or Crepia made the call. The recruiting guy, the guy that's supposed to be in the know, missed. And everybody misses. I'm not killing rivals for it. I'm not. Just own it. Kayvon Thibodeau to Alabama. No. Justin Flo to Oregon. Very much no. And or, Excuse me. Justin Flo to USC. Very much no. Everybody knew Oregon. Like the day of, that, the cat was out of the bag with the national guys. Everybody knew that was coming. And then this last year, JT Toom allowed Oregon on signing day, which again, I, I tweeted about it extensively. So Connerly, again, Oregon, in my understanding, as of very recently, is not in his top three. I They might pull it off. They might shock everybody. It's possible. These are young kids and kids who are not committed right now are very wishy-washy. But as it stands right now, I don't think Oregon's in his top three and I don't think Oregon's in his top four. And with Dave Iuli, I said, Right after his Miami visit, it might even been before on social media. Miami is the heavy, heavy favorite right now, and the visit's not going to change it. They're going to stay the heavy favorite. I think Miami's the landing spot. So we'll see. If you're an Oregon fan, are you looking at those rivals' predictions and, and being encouraged? Sure. They've got experts there that know what they're doing, and, and more often than not, they're going to be right. They've been wrong the last three major predictions, but that doesn't mean they're going to continue to be wrong, and it doesn't mean they don't know what they're doing. But I'm telling you from what I know, 
don't get your hopes up with Josh Connerly. That is a wild prediction. And don't get your hopes up with Dave Iubi. It could happen. It could happen. But as it stands right now, Connerly is torn between a few schools, none of whom are Oregon. Oregon's in it, but the schools that are kind of like vying for the lead, none of them are Oregon. Maybe they find a way to sneak back. He decides to be a Northwest kid, doesn't like Washington, chooses Oregon. It's possible. But that would have to be the only path because, again, they're not they're not one of the leaders right now. And Dave Iuli is a heavy Miami lean. And even if it weren't Miami, I think it would be USC. So take that for what it's worth. Take it for a grain of salt. I'm not coming out on a limb saying Connerly's going here and for sure. And, you know, and Iuli's going here for sure. Although I would predict Iuli to Miami. I feel comfortable with that. Connerly, I don't know. But as it stands right now, if I had to make three guesses, Oregon wouldn't be one of the three. If I had to make four guesses, Oregon wouldn't be one of the four. And you could even talk me into, you get five schools and the five most likely schools I'd pick for Josh Connerly are not Oregon. Now, he has a top six. So so it's possible that Oregon's still in it and Oregon gets a visit, blows him away and landing impresses the heck out of him. And coach Adrian Clem blows him away and impresses the heck out of him and he ends up there. It is possible. These are high school kids. But to make a prediction now and be like, I think it's Oregon is pretty wild. Because if you know the kid and you know the recruitment at all, Oregon's far from that school right now. I think you could make an argument for Michigan. I think you could make an argument for Miami. I think you could make an argument for a number of schools before you make an argument for Oregon. So we'll see how that all shakes out. Take a quick break. We'll go over the rest of Oregon's major targets, who they potentially could be getting, where things are at with some of those targets, and also a discussion of Oregon high school football recruiting. Some really negative stuff coming out. Up from college coaches. I tweeted about it. Since then, I've heard from more coaches. Yes, this is a major problem in your state. We'll talk about that next. Laid out where Oregon stands for Josh Connerly Jr. and Dave Iuli. A couple of big predictions from rivals that they would end up at Oregon. I don't see it that way. We'll see. We will see. Rivals is a professional site. I respect a number of people that work there. Everybody goes on cold streaks. Will it continue or will they turn the tide? They very easily could. Then there's a number of other targets for Oregon. Jalil Florence, he's the number one unsigned corner in America. On Sunday, he tweeted he was down to a final two. It will surprise no one. It's the same thing I've been saying for quite some time. This is Oregon and USC. Yes, Miami took a shot. Yes, Oklahoma took a shot. The writing was on the wall that it was USC and Oregon when he canceled his visit to Miami. Also, he picked up an offer from LSU late in the process. I think if you're an Oregon fan, you breathe a small sigh of relief. Not that it's a top two with USC and Oregon, but that he didn't open it up and decide, hey, I will take that late visit to LSU to see what they have going on. This is an Oregon-USC battle. It's the first major prominent head-to-head battle for a high-ranking recruit between Lincoln Riley and Dan Lanning. We'll see how it goes. Oregon, to, to kind of recap Oregon's pitch, they've been all over Jaleel Florence. They've made him an absolute priority. Walking off the field at the national title game, Dan Lanning called Jaleel Florence, got him on the phone and said, hey, I'm going to Oregon. I want you to be there with me. That impressed Jaleel Florence. At 12.01 on January 14th, 12.01 a.m. on January 14th, Tosh Lapoy and gosh, I think it was Demetrius Martin and a couple of other coaches, might've been Powellage as well. Three Oregon coaches showed up at Florence's house the first day of the contact period after a dead period that lasted one month. They showed up, 
It literally, the dead period ended at midnight and kicked off a contact period. Oregon knocked on the door at 12.01 and stayed till four in the morning. They made him a priority. That's the second time they made him a priority. And then recently, Dan Lanning, Tosh Lapoy, and a couple other coaches, or at least one other coach, I should say, went bowling with Jalil Florence and Grayson Halton, one of the top five defensive linemen in the country, currently unsigned. They went bowling, and not that it matters, but Dan Lanning's first five throws, according to Jalil Florence, were strikes. So Lanning doing everything he can, not only with his phone, not only with contact, but in terms of his actual athletic prowess, doing everything he can to impress Jalil Florence. We'll see. It's going to be tough. I don't feel good about making a call right now. And I, you might say, well, that's, that's cowardice of you. Uh, I don't know how those pitches are going to go. And anybody who's telling you for certain they know, I don't know if they do. This is a, a kid who's not wishy-washy. He reopened things because Mario Cristobal moved on. But it's all going to depend on how he feels about Dan Lanning, a coach and, and staff that he's only known for a couple of weeks. And he's re- they're recruiting against Lincoln Riley and a coaching staff that's only been at USC for a few more weeks than they've been at U- in Eugene. So this is going to be an interesting recruitment. I do think it helps that Oregon has the commitment of Jalil Tucker. For people who don't know, they are Lincoln High School teammates in San Diego. They made up the best cornerback duo in America. I believe Jalil Tucker is the number nine corner in America. Jalil Florence is the number 11 corner in America. Imagine having those guys in the same defensive backfield in high school. You smoke people, right? So potentially they'll want to keep the Jalils together. Jalil with no H is Jalil Tucker. Jalil with an H is Jalil Florence. They might end up staying together. We'll see. I think it's going to be a very tight battle. I think it really matters. When he committed... He was a three-star prospect on Rivals 24-7. He was technically still a three-star, but they'd already written articles that when they updated their rankings, he would jump way up the list. I think he was the 30-something best corner in America. I told you when he committed, he'll end up being a top 10 to 15 corner in America. He's that good. He's now at number 11. So a big-time, big-time, big-time corner that you'd like to see them bring in if you're a Duck fan. But again, it's a very tight battle. Arliss Boardingham. A six foot four, 220 pound wide receiver, tight end, hybrid player, intriguing player, runs like an 11 second, 100 meter, just maybe, might be just slightly sub 11. Uh, given that six four, 220 pound frame, that's stunning. He came out on Monday and said he is down to Oregon and Florida. I told you uh, last show that Florida probably had the lead there. They also have now hosted him on an official visit. So, He was leaning more towards Florida then, but Oregon is going to get that last visit. He was supposed to visit this past weekend. He delayed it until this coming weekend and will take his Oregon visit. I think it's a great sign that Oregon gets the last visit. They are having to play a little bit of catch up from Florida, but that's to be expected because Florida already got their official visit. So we'll see how this one plays out, but I certainly think that it's an intriguing recruitment to watch. Um, I do wonder if in any way, and it might not, if it ties to Chase Coda. If you can get Boardingham, 6'4", 220, do you take, and he's a freshman coming in, do you take Chase Coda, 6'3", 210? In other words, are you just looking for a big-bodied receiver and you don't really care if it adds depth to your program or if it's a veteran guy? Or, or are they totally separate recruitments? And they might be. They might be, especially if Boardingham potentially is a tight end. 
So it's it's going to be something to watch to see how Oregon uh, pushes and pulls these scholarship limits that they're that they have that everybody has right now, and, and see what goes on with that. Grayson Halton recently visited Oklahoma. I I said before I thought his foot he had a foot out the door as as soon as Cristobal left. He is still technically a commit, uh, but that recruitment is going to be tight and and hanging on to him. I thought when Cristobal first left that he was essentially committed to Oregon in name only that it was only a matter of time before he flipped to somewhere else. And he's had a number of suitors, Miami included, uh, Oklahoma. I believe USC's made a run at him. Um, I, I just thought it was a done deal. He was going to leave. Now, I don't think it's a done deal. I think Oregon's got a shot to keep him. I don't necessarily think it's the most likely thing in the world, but I do think they have a shot. And, and that's a credit to Lanning and his staff. We'll just kind of see how that one goes. Then there's Amarion Winston. He's visited Florida Oregon's still uh, in the mix with him, the Central Catholic four-star edge rusher. He's visiting Washington or has visited Washington. Yeah, I, to be honest, I have to re-look up his schedule in terms of whether that was last weekend or this weekend. But a Washington trip either was in the works or is in the works. Uh, those are some of the main targets. And of course, Christian Miller, who is the number two unsigned defensive lineman in the country. He's listed as the number five defensive tackle in America, uh, signed or unsigned. That That's how good a player he is. He visited Oregon in I like January 11th, January 12th, 13th, right in that range, Georgia, it has long been viewed as the favorite for him. So there's the Dan Landing tie, but also they might be full on scholarships, which might allow Oregon to get in the mix for a running back that's committed to Georgia, Christian Miller, who is very high on Georgia. And then there's a number of three and four star guys that are, that are worth keeping an eye on. I, I, I don't know if they necessarily move the needle. I don't know if they necessarily dramatically alter the way you view this recruiting class, but they've got a shot at adding a couple of low four-star, high three-star type players. The the Koika Rogers, Justice Low types who they've already added. I I think the Koika Rogers uh, commitment is interesting because it sounds as though uh, there's some ties there with Dave Iuli that potentially that could be a, a help in Oregon's effort, now maybe it's 2%, but at this point when you're trying to catch up to Miami, anything could help. It'll be interesting to see, but uh, that's kind of a rundown of of where Oregon's at. They may end up adding another piece or two. I certainly think they're going to continue to add and attack the transfer portal, but those are the big names. And again, I know there's more names. I know there's other three-star players. I know there's some low four-star players Oregon is targeting, but those are the real big names you've been hearing recently. Josh Connerly, Dave Ayuli, Jaleel Florence, Arliss Boardingham, Grayson Halton, Amarion Winston. They're going after a, a corner uh, fr- from the state of Texas that that uh, they very easily could add into the mix. So there's some pieces there, but uh, I think all in all, I think it's a real tough sledding. I, I think if you're looking at it and saying, if you're a Duck fan and you're saying, I'll be disappointed if they don't get Connerly, Ayuli, Florence, and Halton, I think you're going to be disappointed come signing day, especially with Connerly probably waiting past the early or past the late signing period to make a decision. I, I think getting Florence and getting Boardingham and or Winston is about what they're going to do. I don't think they're going to get Ayuli. I don't think they're going to get Connerly. They could. They're high school kids who are changing their minds daily. They could, but it's unlikely. And in fact, right now, it's in in the case of Connerly, it's it's really unlikely. I I I just can't I can't fathom him him ending up at Oregon. It's possible, 
but it would take a lot. It's the same thing as JT to Malau. And I said the same thing when JT was predicted to Oregon. I guess anything is possible because kids change their mind all the time, but it doesn't stack up with anything I'm hearing from anyone that is connected to it that I consider reputable. When it comes to Connerly's recruitment, you would be hard pressed to find a single person who's connected to it, who's a reputable person in his circle who will tell you Oregon's in his top three. You couldn't, you can't. Same with Dave Iuli. You cannot find anyone super connected to Dave Iuli who says Oregon's in the lead. They're not. Miami's in the lead. And Oregon's losing maybe ground is maybe losing enough ground to USC that they're not second. Jaleel Florence, it's 50-50. It's coin flip. We'll see. Grayson Halton, I thought he was gone. The fact that Oregon's made it close enough that it's something to watch is great. Oregon could flip a couple of Georgia commits. I'm definitely watching that to see if Dan Lanning can pull off the miracles there. I'm not super connected to those kids. I haven't covered them. So I don't necessarily feel like one interview over the phone is enough for me to really know what's going on there. I think they've got a shot at flipping the number 12 running back in the country. I think they've got a shot at flipping a key edge rusher. But I don't feel comfortable based on limited contact saying I'm ready to to make a big prediction. So it's a wait and see with the caveat that generally speaking, Things are trending more along the lines of the big, big names are headed elsewhere. Now, if they get Christian Miller and they get Jaleel Florence and they get Arliss Boardingham and Amarion Winston, be thrilled. That would be phenomenal. That would be insane. I think it's, I think right now with, the, again, with the caveat that I don't know this staff super well, maybe they're capable of maybe miracle workers, that it's, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Florence, definite shot. Boardingham, definite shot. Halton, outside shot. Marion Winston, outside shot. Connerly, very long shot. Dave Iuli, very long shot. Christian Miller, we'll see. Decent shot. So there's enough there to potentially squint, things break right, and you feel pretty good. Not going to be a top 15 class in America. Oregon high school recruiting. This has been something that's been kind of festering since this fall and even really late summer last year, but it wasn't as big a deal because COVID shut everything down. And so I just hadn't gotten a chance to see kids in person to really get a vibe for what was going on, talk to college coaches, have my own opinions. But since this fall, I've been hearing really strongly, there are way too many influential, air quotes, seven on seven coaches and independent trainers Telling kids how great they are. Telling kids in Oregon they are D1, FBS caliber kids. And it's making it very difficult to recruit the state. Not only, not only, and this is the part people miss. It's not only from the smaller schools where you go, well, if they're, if they're not appreciative, to heck with them. Also from the bigger schools. Because the bigger schools, especially the ones that aren't Oregon and Oregon State, who are in the state to know the feel of everything. When they're told, hey, there are 20 kids in Oregon worth checking out. And they check out 10 of them and watch the tape on 10 of them that they were told are great. I'm throwing out a complete made up name that I, that to be completely candid, I haven't spoken to so that there's no way to tie it. If Arizona says, well, we got, you know, we were told by all these different trainers and stuff. There's like 20 kids in Oregon who are packed 12 and they watch 10 of them. And only two of them really are D1 and they watch 10, 10 of the 20 and they go, none of these kids are even FCS kids. What are we doing? They turn off the tape. It's not worth making the trip. And there's 
way too much of it. And you've got people being like, you know, this kid is so slept on. I don't even know why the directional schools are interested in him. He is a D1 kid. Why is the Mountain West not all over him? Why is the Pac-12 not all over him? Because he's not a Pac-12 or, or Mountain West kid. And then, unfortunately, and I've heard this from the college coaches, and then the high school coach side of it has, I've got angry parents saying, well, the trainer says they're this. And I'm, you know, I'm telling them, maybe go check out Southern, go check out Western, go check out Eastern Oregon, go, you know, go check out Linfield, go check out some of these programs. And the kid wants to go to camps in Eugene and Corvallis and Los Angeles and Seattle. You're wasting your parents' time. You're arguing with the coaching staff and it's been consistent. There are a few kids in this state who are slept on. There are. I think it's Dom Montiel. The, uh, and I might be pronouncing his last name wrong, the Marshfield quarterback, that kid is the number one quarterback in the state of Oregon. He is. And I don't think it's out of the question that he could go Mountain West. He could be an FBS kid. By the way, I've heard that from evaluators. I've heard that from college coaches. I've heard that from Pac-12 coaches. I don't think he's a Pac-12 kid, but man, if I were a Mountain West kid, or a Mountain West school, especially a a mid to low level Mountain West school, I would offer that Marshfield quarterback because he's good. There are kids who are slept on. There are kids who deserve a shot. And that's why you're seeing that Marshfield quarterback get walk-on offers from Oregon State, have interest from the Pac-12 as a preferred walk-on. They feel like they're going to get a steal. Well, no one's going to offer this kid. He can come to our campus for free and potentially eventually earn a scholarship and be a backup or a starting quarterback. There are kids who are slept on. There's no doubt about it. But I started hearing that this fall. And it's like, okay, that's concerning. I'm seeing kids on the field and there aren't a ton of elite, elite D1 talents this year in Oregon. Something to consider. Fair enough. Okay. I want to get through the early signing period. I take a two-week break. I I come back and then I want to dig in on it. So let's talk to some college coaches. Let's talk to some coaches and find out. And I'll tell you what, resounding, 100% of the people I reached out to that cared to comment Some are like, eh, I'm not that connected to Oregon recruiting. I don't really know the politics of it. But I have yet to hear from anybody who doesn't think it's a problem, who doesn't think that, you know, who says, yeah, there's no issue in Oregon. Everybody's getting good advice. And here's the thing. That happens everywhere. The problem in Oregon right now is there are way too many, way too many trainers and way too many seven-on-seven coaches gaslighting half their roster. You're a stud. You're a superstar. You're D1. I'm just telling you, my grades will come out eventually <laughs> and we can talk about it. There are a handful of kids in this year's class that were legitimate FBS prospects. Next year, there's a handful of kids who are FBS. There aren't 20. There aren't 30. There aren't 40. There aren't 70. If you're a seven on seven coach coming to me and saying, I've got 10 guys who are Pac-12 guys. No, you don't. No, you don't. And not only that, but if you do have one, the fact that you told me you have 10 and you send that to a bunch of different colleges, is going to mean they're going to ignore you. You've got angry parents coming because trainer X, seven on seven program X told me. And in some cases you also have, yeah, my kid really is slept on or this kid really is good. And he comes from a school or he's connected to people who don't know how to get him looks that don't know how to start the ball rolling in his recruitment. So you've got all these different forces and all these different factors. And so on Monday, I tweeted about it. This is a major issue. This is a major issue in Oregon. It's a major problem right now. And I heard from more coaches. I waited to tape this podcast because I started getting into conversations with coaches who were like, I'm so glad you said something. 
Yes, every state has this. Every state has trainers and seven-on-seven coaches and high school coaches that believe in their kids and, and push the wrong buttons. But Oregon has more infighting among their high school coaches where they all hate each other and don't want to communicate with each other. Oregon has more issues with its trainers, with its seven-on-seven coaches telling people how great they are than, than almost any other state in terms of percentages. Obviously, California has more of those people because their, their population is way bigger. Oregon has all these seven-on-seven programs. And some of them are great, by the way. Some of them are good. Some of them are good. But there's a reason. I've said this from the very beginning, and any seven-on-seven coach in the state worth his salt will be able to tell you this verbatim because I didn't want to get into the politics of it. I've said, I go where the talent is. I might have a great relationship with you. I might think you're the best coach in the state when it comes to seven-on-seven development. But if you don't have the three and four-star guys at your practices, at your tournaments, I'm not coming. I'm going where the talent is. And and people will tell you that. I've had coaches say to me, hey, I know you always say you're going to go where the talent is. I think I have a couple of sleepers this year. Come check. Can you please come check these guys out? People who know me, who actually know me and actually know what events I go to will tell you. Nimick always says, it's his mantra. I go where the talent is because it avoids the politics. I set all that aside. I set all of it aside. That's why I talk about FSP all the time up in Seattle. They're Northwest kids all the time. They have Oregon and Oregon State offers and they always, always have three, four and five star kids. Always. Every time you contact FSP, about their prospects, they've got 10 guys who have at least heavy Oregon or Oregon State interest, if not offers. The problem here right now is we just don't, we have too much infighting for too little talent. You've got too many seven-on-seven programs fighting for too few talents. So how do you recruit those guys? You tell them how great they are. You tell them you'll make them the one, that you've got connections, that you're going to push the right buttons, that you're going to Or in some cases, they just want to play with their friends, right? Like, it's not all this, like, glaringly bad stuff. There are good seven-on-seven programs that I have a lot of respect for. There are. I'm not even going to name any, because if I name any, then the people that I don't name are going to get back to me and say, how come you didn't say us? So there are seven-on-seven programs I have a tremendous amount of respect for. There are. Who, Who get kids, and if you want to come here, come here. We'll develop you as best we can, and we'll tell you right away. You're a high school kid. You're not ever going to play college level. Or, you know what, if you work really hard, you've got a chance to be D2. You've got a chance to be an NAIA kid, a D3 kid. You've got a chance to go FCS. There are good seven-on-seven programs. There are too, uh, way too many getting mad, getting mad that how come you don't pay attention to our kids? And this is like separate but kind of connected. I had one, one very prominent, very good high school program. I rate with me this year. I rate with me this year because I thought Central Catholic was better. And I said so. By the way, not a team that was in the title game against them. It's not Tualatin. Tualatin's great. I love Coach Lever. I love the Tualatin program. They had some real dudes. Genuinely real freaking dudes. Cole Prussia, Prussia, dude. Going to Princeton, awesome. Love that kid. It's not Tualatin. Who were like, you favor Central Catholic over us. Well, Central Catholic won the state title. By multiple touchdowns. Yeah, I liked Central Catholic better this year. Did I go to more of their games? Yeah, why? I go where the talent is. That's, it's just a mantra. And if you live by it, you avoid all the politics. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that people saying you favor this school or you hate this school or you love that school, but it sure makes it easy when you say, Hey, check out where I've been, check out the games I'm at, check out where the talent is. If it lines up, that means I'm being truthful. 
Oregon seven-on-seven coaches, Oregon trainers, Oregon high school coaches all need to get on the same page. Everybody needs to get on the same page and have real conversations. I'll talk to kids. I, this has happened. I, by the way, multiple offers have been pulled in this state from kids ignoring schools or being rude to schools on the phone. I've talked to more than one high school coach who's angry because they finally did connect a kid to a school to get him an offer and he told him, no thanks, I'm better than this school. No, you're not. You're not better than any school. Nobody's better than any school. Nobody is. Because here's what happens. And this kid has handled the recruiting process great. I have no criticisms at all. It's just a recent example I can talk about. What if Chase Coda, who's now transferred from UCLA, would have been like, hey, Oregon, you know what? I'm an out-of-state guy. I'm too good for Oregon. Deuces. He didn't. He handled it totally right. It's just an example. I promise. Again, I purposely liked with the Arizona example earlier. I'm purposely picking a school or a player that has nothing to do with this so that it doesn't draw attention to them. But if Chase would have big-timed Oregon, now that he's in the transfer portal, if he was deuces to all those schools, I'm too good for you. When he cycles back around, circles back around, he can't go to Oregon because he mistreated them. And there are people who remember. Even when you change stabs, there are people that remember within the building. You don't know what's going to happen in your career. You don't know what injury you're going to have. You don't know what thing is going to happen to you. You don't know what's going to happen with the transfer portal. Respect everybody that respects you. It's it's true. There are kids who here as sophomores, and they're definitely going to end up being four-star kids. And they'll early on hear from like a Portland State. Pay attention to Portland State. You know why? Because when you get a Big Sky offer, that forces the entire rest of the Big Sky to look at you. We don't want the competition to get better players than us. We've got to look at them. What happens if five big sky schools offer you? Oh, crap. The Mountain West and Pac-12 have to look at you just in case. They don't want to get you know take a kid that's a sleeper that's a total steal. Every piece of contact, every scholarship you get is another building block. You get, you get a scholarship offer from Southern Oregon, Western Oregon, and Portland State. But hey, Oregon State's been inviting you to all this stuff. So you're probably an Oregon State kid. No, no, because if you ignore Portland State and you ignore Western Oregon and you ignore Eastern Oregon and Linfield and you don't pay attention to them to have you earn a scholarship, there's no pressure whatsoever on the bigger schools to offer you anything because you have no free ride to fall back on. Start stacking the offers. Every offer matters because if you get those three big sky offers, again, the Mountain West goes, we can't just prefer to walk on this kid. He's got three free rides at the Big Sky. So you get a couple of Mountain West. You get Fresno State and Boise State. That puts pressure on Colorado and Washington State and Oregon State and Cal and Oregon to say, he's got a free ride in the Mountain West. If we want him, we're going to have to offer him. But if you just start at, I know I'm a Pac-12 player, to heck with the Mountain West, you don't get those offers to build off of. I've seen this time and time again. It's happened every year. It happened again this season. A kid who had Pac-12 offers or at least FBS offers mistreated some of the schools, had some of his schools, some of his offers pulled. Again, this has happened like, it might not have been literally every year. It might've been four of the last five years or five of the last six or three of the last four. It happens most years. There's been one year where it didn't happen and they misplayed things a little bit. Some of the offers were no longer committable. The school they loved that they were set on Filled up. They got a guy they like better. Look closer to home. That offer's gone. But since you thought you were going there, you didn't talk to the other schools. You didn't bother taking visits. 
suddenly they're full or they're not interested anymore. And you end up falling back, getting back, getting back, getting back. Suddenly you're like, crap, would be really cool to hear from Portland State. But I didn't answer the calls for six months. There's way too much of that going on. You're not too good to pick up the phone for anybody, anybody. You're not too good, especially if you have nothing or very limited something, you're not too good to take a visit somewhere. If you can drive there, it's easy. If they're going to offer you a scholarship, you're allowed to ask questions. Am I a scholarship guy? Am I a walk-on? Am I a guy you guys could see being a, a developing into a significant player? Hey, coach, I'd like to play right away. Is there an opportunity for me to play special teams here early? Ask questions. Ask questions. Find out who you are, where you stack up. Don't just assume because some trainer said, hey, you can come play in our offense and we think you're D1, that then you can blow off every D2, D3, and NAI. It's not how it works. Even if you are D1 good, D1 schools aren't going to offer you until the other schools show interest in a lot of cases, unless you're already a four or five star kid, because they don't have to. Nobody's going to pay for something they can get for free. You blow off the lower schools, don't get offers from them, you're free. Every offer, there is no offer from you. So everybody can prefer to walk on you until you have that offer to fall back on. And then everybody has to do, man, would you rather go there and get, you know, college paid for? Or if we really want him, we got to pull the trigger because he's already got an offer. Be respectful to every school. And I'm serious. Multiple offers in Oregon this year have been pulled because of a lack of respect for coaches all the way up to the power five. You are not a power five program that I wanted to go to. No, thank you. Seriously. There's also offers that are offered that the kid never tweets about, which is totally okay. So just because you think you saw this person tweeted this offer, this is the offer that he's talking about. There are lots of offers you never know about. Oregon State had a number of commitments this year who had late offers from Washington and USC. And the kids didn't tweet them. They just signed with Oregon State and they were set. So just because you think you see an offer, I'll go back on Twitter and find out who he's talking about. You won't because some of these offers weren't even public. But I know they happen because I talk to the colleges and I talk to the high school coaches and I talk to the kids. So handle the process the right way. And next week and probably even before that, because things are really ramping up, we'll have another episode of The Recruiting Trail. Talk about prospects. Talk about the lead into the late signing period. Thank you for listening.